0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Today, I'm speaking with filmmaker Jonathan Berman about his latest documentary, Calling All Earthlings.
1: Flying saucers. People from outer space. George Van Tassel, let's talk about this time machine you're building down in California.
0: The Integratron was built by George Van Tassel. He worked for Howard Hughes on advanced aircraft. He was a UFO contactee. I was sound asleep. When he awakened, the man got off of the ship and approached me before I even knew there was a ship down. Oh, come off it,
1: John. He said he had contact with those aliens, she came to him and gave him the design to that uh, Integratron. The Integratron was to engineer a type of genetic reprogramming leading to longevity.
0: Eternal. Yeah. The Integratron is an electrostatic generator. It's meticulously built. And the science behind this machine is Tesla science. If anybody tried to turn
1: it on without being phased, they said it'd be like a 100 nuclear weapons going off. He did not want people to know that there were other sources of energy.
0: He started getting more and more paranoid about the government watching what he was doing.
1: I can see why he was a marked person. They tried to kill George. It smells of conspiracy. It's almost like there's some sort of experiment around here that we're all inside of. The suppression of this information is the highest type of treason.
0: There's a lot of mystery about George Van Tassel. Let's look at the evidence. It's there. Something was working.
1: We've got friends and neighbors out here, and they want to talk to us.
0: Calling All Earthlings explores a mid-century UFO cult, led by one-time Howard Hughes confidant George Van Tassel. Van Tassel claimed to have combined alien guidance with the writings of inventor and physicist Nikola Tesla and other controversial science to build an electromagnetic time machine he dubbed the Integratron. Was he insane, or could the dome really break through the boundaries of space, time, and energy? FBI agents worked against Van Tassel and the alternative community that formed out of his work. Would he finish the Integratron before the government finished him? Tune in right now to find out. This is somewhere in the skies with Ryan Spurg. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today on
1: Somewhere in the Skies. I'm excited, and I'm really glad we could make this happen, Ryan.
0: When I heard you were a a fellow New Yorker and a filmmaker, I knew I had to get you on the show, Jonathan. Uh, I've been following the trajectory of this film for a while now, and uh, I'm so excited to see that it's finally out. We can all see it, and today we're going to talk all about Calling All Earthlings. But before we dive in, man, you're fresh off the heels of a screening. Am I correct? Could you tell us a little about how that all went down?
1: Well, you know, you make these films and it's a very long lead trajectory, although I convinced myself that it was only going to take a year because that's what you do. (laughs) And uh, seven years later, we just came off of uh, some wonderful festivals and theatrical screenings of the uh, Calling All Earthlings film. And uh, and then this week, uh, which is about, as we're going to talk about, George Van Tassel mm-hmm. and his uh, activities out in the deserts of California uh, and Joshua Tree area. So we filmed in Joshua Tree, and uh, that was like seven years ago. And I returned uh, Friday night to show the film, and it was just a wonderful feeling of returning and people being into it. And, uh, you know, it's always sensitive about how a community is portrayed and whether they accept it or not. And that was a process that I could tell you about. So it's a really fun, really great scene. Uh, out there still you know it's just nice good people
0: absolutely yeah we'll definitely get into that community that's a big aspect of all of this that i Mm -hmm. i'd love to discuss but uh again before we get to that i always like to hear the origin story of you know how filmmakers became who they are you know the classic uh origin comic book thing so before we get into that what made you want to become a filmmaker in the first place
1: Oh, well, you know, Ryan, I, I grew up watching a lot of TV and reading books. I was, I was a little, vor, you know, voracious, uh, reader as a kid. And, uh, when I watched a ton of TV, the Brady Bunch and the Partridge Family and Get Smart and all these shows. And eventually I felt like I had so much input that I wanted to put, put something back out. <laughs> so, and, you know, growing up, I guess what we thought of was middle class. I don't know if that exists anymore. <laughs> I had the luxury in my mind certainly of or maybe uh, the luxury of of pursuing art but I think it was just more like an intuitive thing I just started playing music when I was a kid and having being in bands and uh and we shot little little super 8 movies you know like uh, like in, what was that film with the, the Spielberg film oh, really? yeah. he always has super 8 in his stuff so yeah. Uh so uh shooting movies when we were 13 little like karate movies and mafia movies putting talcum powder in our hair and all that stuff so <laughs> between the music and the um and the filmmaking uh I um I got into making art or whatever you call it <laughs> media yeah
0: yeah, exactly i know it's a very uh amorphous term for sure well one of your films really caught my attention when i saw the trailer for it so if you don't mind i'd love to ask you about my friend paul this really stuck out to me could you tell us a little bit about this film and what it meant to you
1: well uh that was definitely the most personal of of my films um growing up in long island on the south shore one of my best closest friends like uh, Paul and my friend Adam is also in the film. Paul uh, was uh, a total character. He was always one step ahead of us, and he became a bank robber, and I became a filmmaker. And uh, my friend Paul is the story of our reunion. So it's a, it's really a film about living on the edge and uh, friends and family of, of people with mental illness, really, because he was bipolar. That's what mm-hmm. you find out as the film goes on. You know, when the euphoria – we ride the euphoria of Paul's journey as a deadhead and just getting more and more into drugs and all that and uh, and then becoming a bank robber. And uh, then we kind of move back and say, wow, what is this? What is this?
0: Right. Yeah, and I'm sure everyone can relate, some friend or family member who just takes a trajectory you never really expected.
1: You know, when I, when I screened that film, um, which we did with public television, ITVS, which is this – great branch of, of American public TV. When we did that, uh, I found that there were two pe- two different types. If I can break it down and go binary here. Uh, the people who had had experiences with people off the off the charts in their life and understood what I was talking about in the film and those who didn't. Some people were like, oh, well, why wouldn't you let Paul stay at your house? I was like, oh, okay, you've never experienced just mm-hmm. the going with the lunar, getting... Drawn into somebody's world and drama and not being able to or wanting to. And, right. Yeah.
0: I can only imagine, man. I'm, I'm sure it is a very powerful film. I, I hope to take a look at that soon. Um, one of the other things on your resume that really caught my attention, the last little question here off topic, but was Toxic Avenger 2. How the hell did this happen? I love trauma.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking. You know, when I, after I, um, Went up to McGill and I played in uh, R and B bands, played like a big show band up there, and was still, you know, learning about making movies. I came back to New York and worked in edit rooms, and one of the edit rooms I worked in was at the legendary Troma. and uh, I was an apprentice assistant editor, and we just did it all. And uh, um, for Toxic Avenger Part Two, I did some of the voices in the film, so uh, I did some of the ADR, you know the um, off-screen voices as well as the karate sounds and we were doing sound editing we would get calls you know to you know you work crazy hours in film and it was like 2 am and we're sound editing the film and somebody would call up and be like, you guys stole my script and, and, and we're gonna blow up I'm gonna blow up the building. You know, and we'd be like, "Oh well, call back on uh, call back on office hours." You know, Lloyd and Michael aren't here; (laughs) we're just working here. (laughs) So it was fun and working with Lloyd Kaufman is a hoot. He's a great guy, and he he really understands audiences too. You know,
0: absolutely. I believe I met him at a Comic Con one year, and yeah, God, if you've ever seen passion in someone, you know, an executive of like a film company, that's the example right there for sure.
1: Yeah, um, Lloyd was more the creative and michael was the business side so mm-hmm. he always wanted to make sure that people were getting it and i feel the same way i don't want i don't want myself to be too esoteric you know i love you know out there avant-garde stuff sometimes um i like to balance it out and i'm kind of try to be make make uh, films that are understood by el gente you know the people
0: and i mean that's very prevalent in your your recent film calling all earthlings so before we get to the actual story. Jonathan of George Fantasso, how did you come to discover this man, and what sort of prompted you to want to make a film about him and his work?
1: You know, I had finished my last film, Commune, which is about the Black Bear Ranch Commune, um, kind of a legendary uh, group of people getting together to change the world. Nothing nothing too audacious there. (laughs) And uh, I was... Walking around LA as much as one can walk around LA. And I walked into the Bodhi Tree bookstore, and it's this bookstore um, that's like deals with the supernatural and yeah, all your coast to coast kind of stuff, somewhere in the skies and beyond, you know, uh, spirituality and personal growth. And I f- spied this book, and it uh, uh, was about the California being a spiritual state. And it was photographs. And one of the photographs was of the Integratron Dome. And I just saw this white kind of gothic dome uh, with a sign perched on it in the middle of the desert. And the sign said, for basic experimentation in life uh, extension. And I was hooked. So uh, I, I, knew, I knew I had to go out there, you know. <laughs> right. Right.
0: And, you know, th- that. The Integratron itself, which we'll get into, is so iconic now. I mean, my friends send me picture messages all the time of them going there and going out in the desert and just just to see it, this like relic that just sort of stands there. Again, we'll get into that. But like you just said, you went out there, and when you decided to make the film, you embedded yourself into this community to make the film. So what was that like? I can't even imagine.
1: That's an interesting question because um, when I made – commune I went up to Siskiyou County and I was like well that's gonna be pretty exotic and I get there I'm like god and first when we made commune first the first thing that happened was we kind of got like interrogated by all the people in the commune it was like a big reunion so from ages 8 to 80 they were like who are you you're the media what brings you here you know and then after kind of getting passing through the trial by fire with them and them on uh the the black bear ranch commune understanding that we weren't there to get them because the media often gets stuff wrong right the media um so with this project there was there's like a a, a state that you go through where you're like on on probation you know <laughs> so i got out there and and uh went passed through this trial by fire which i could tell you about but um i realized oh my god these and, and i really realized it again This weekend, I'm like, these are the these are the cool people I love to hang out with. These are, you know, just like in George's day, all the uh, musicians and artists and and, uh, desert rats and uh, inventors and people who also may not have the money to live in a Beverly Hills mansion. As somebody says in the film, Um, there is something about the desert that was just always magical. And uh, and uh, so I feel very uh, akin to a lot of people there.
0: Yeah, I, I I know what you mean, man. I mean, being in downtown Los Angeles, like you, you get one perspective of California here, but the minute you step outside of that bubble, you know, like any city, I would imagine, and branch out, something just pulls you, you know. Whenever I even see the word Mojave, I just, I want to get out there. I just want to go and experience uh-huh. it. And as an East Coaster, like, I feel that even more now, this magnetic pull to something i never experienced.
1: Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I, you know, it's also like small town living in a good way, because you know everyone. Like, yeah. you go to the saloon and it's like oh there's this guy there's that guy and everyone's friends so you can let your guard down a little bit
0: right right i mean i know living in new york i don't know about you but you know you find your pockets every now and again but i couldn't even tell you my next door neighbor's name in my apartment building it's just so you know every, everyone's sort of on guard and on their own So, oh we-
1: that's funny because in new york i don't feel that way but I, I it is a thing in new york where you like I don't know if it's historically, but you don't want to know your neighbors, it because when you're blasting your music at three in the morning, you don't want them complaining. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I always <laughs> felt very at home in New York, actually. Um, yeah. But LA is—it's a, a whole other world, you know. It's a different geographic and uh, a cultural makeup. You know, this is this was Mexico, and uh, really, you know, supposed to still be part of that country and and uh really yeah when you look at Los Angeles itself it's a bubble of kind of english speakers surrounded by um what continues to be I know uh, uh, I'm I'm not an ethnographer really I'm not an anthropologist uh it does seem like there is a bubble here and uh i feel a lo- like like i felt a lot of the early settlers early people who came from other places out to california probably felt as kind of uh, a alien nation,
0: you know? Absolutely. What better place to uh, to put this mission, you know, into fruition as uh, Van Tassel did? So, I mean, who... Uh, who was George Fantasso? What exactly was his connections to these people you mentioned in the film? Howard Hughes. I mean, yeah, my God, yeah, Nikola yeah. Tesla. Well, just,
1: what? Just, what is just, this? Just, well, just to take a step back, since we were on that that top, that thread. Yeah, you know, so many people came out here seeking something. Uh, they were the seekers. They came out to the Southern California to be movie stars. They came out in like the grapes of wrath to. Eat food because they were starving in the dust bowl. People were seeking something when they headed west, and they were also speaking, uh, nur- seeking nourishment of the soul, right, as well. And these are the, the people who leave their towns a lot of times are more adventurous and. They were looking for something new, and it was a fresh place. Uh, George Van Tassel came from the Midwest, as did a lot of people out here in SoCal, and they wanted new forms of spirituality as well. So for the very beginning, uh, there was all kinds of wild stuff operating in these here hills of Los Angeles and the environs. Theosophy, which wasn't, of course, just in L.A., Uh, there was... um, simple McPherson. Uh, she had a, um, huge, uh, church that was here in echo park the church is still there actually, Amy simple McPherson. And, uh, kind of like, a you had, um, you know, as you got, uh, got on, you had Gene Scott in the sixties and seventies <laughs> and eighties, Reverend Gene Scott Scott's classic. And, uh, I just love that aspect of California as people seeking, um, once the uh, atomic bomb was dropped, uh, in, uh, tested in uh, in uh, New Mexico and then dropped in uh, Japan, uh, everything changed. And uh, people like George Van Tassel uh, felt an awakening. So George came from Ohio and he was loved airplanes. I don't know uh, if this is how he got into airplanes. I, do, I should find out. <laughs> I would be the person to find out. I do know that a lot of people in um, the Midwest or people with farms, you can operate a plane at any age. And it's still true I think my friend's son started flying when he was like 14 or something because oh, wow. <laughs> because you're you're dusting crops you know for whatever reason George was fascinated by aviation and moved left Ohio moved out to uh, may have studied um some aer- aeronautics stuff it's cl- his whole story is slightly clouded in mystery which is really as it should be learned uh Uh, A lot about airplanes came out to California. The war, World War II was on, and they needed people to work uh, making airplanes, and George was up for it, and he worked at Lockheed and Hughes and um, a few other facilities, and uh, as the story uh, legend goes, he became friends with Howard Hughes and his personal flight inspector. And in 1947, as it was all shutting down, he uh, moved out to the desert, and some would say he moved out just to get out of the rat race. I think he even said that. I mean, he certainly was one of the first counterculture people of the, of the new age, I would say. And then other people would say, uh, no, George actually was going out to the uh, dry Harper Dry uh, Lake, which was a test facility, a secret test facility that Howard Hughes had. So either way, in uh, early 1950s, when August night, full moon, George looks up and he uh, under a butter yellow light. He uh, hears a voice, booming, actually, voice. That's how it comes to him. And it says, my name is Solganda, and I would be pleased to show you my craft. And that's how his adventure uh, began uh, in in direct communication, uh, like personal communication, according to George, with uh, beings from another world. He had already been channeling. He had already been living out there for a year and and had been singing spirituals with his family. They moved underneath this giant rock with the name of Giant Rock, and um, they, um, they were seeing spirituals and invite people over. Pretty soon, these spirituals were morphing into uh, channelings, and George was getting messages. And One of the messages was that they were going to give us a buzz over our capital. Mm. 1952 yeah yep. yeah you know the the washington flap
0: absolutely yep yep where the uh you know the air force and pentagon i believe it was even had to get involved to be like everyone calm down but yeah, yeah they sent jets up even to try to yeah. intercept the objects crazy
1: so in washington dc uh, uh uh some unidentified objects flew right over the Capitol, really mm. really near the white house and uh george had, according to George, uh, sent a registered letter to various officials in the U.S. government a few months beforehand. So they had told them that they were, they were going to try to get our attention that way.
0: Oh, wow. What I would give to have seen those letters postmarked.
1: I know. Awesome. I know. That would be something to find. You know, like yeah. the, the poem is never finished, only abandoned. You heard, that, you heard that expression?
0: Yep. Yep. I love it. It, it, it fits perfectly.
1: Here. I know. Because I'm like, oh, I yeah, I could, I'd love to see those letters. I, had, yeah. I, did, I did not find them. We did a lot of research.
0: Okay. So he gets – he's channeling. He gets this message. You know, I, we don't want to give away too much of that. But the biggest outcome from these messages was to build this machine. So I'd love maybe if you could sort of describe what this machine was to us, Jonathan, if you don't mind.
1: So the, yeah, the Integratron was a building designed for basic research into life extension is how George termed it. But it was much more than that. So one of the uh, reviewers of the film called it uh, the Swiss Army knife of like of the new age, you know, of all all the things that people wanted, um, one of which was free energy. What this was was a domed machine. That was supposed to spin around and create electromagnetic waves, uh, multiple wave oscillations, that would then um, use George Creel's uh, idea, uh, Creel having been the first doctor to have uh, done a blood transfusion. And Creel's idea that uh, the cells are like little batteries and that they need to be recharged. So um, zapping the cells with electricity to rejuvenate people. And the reason why it wasn't just vanity, George's explanation of this was that you get wisdom and just as you start moving towards being – giving some wisdom, uh, you die. So the the intent was to bring wisdom to the people Mm -hmm. and extend life at the same time the dome worked on a number of different principles although it never was turned on as as you know and those include uh tesla's uh benefits of negative ionization and uh george lakowski's a uh, multiple wave oscillations that we were talking about so it is a wild uh and crazy and audacious idea and one of the things as i talk about the film i'd really love to do a conference where we get together the more uh esoteric scientists with the more hardcore scientists one of the things i love visually about george by the way speaking of just hardcore scientists is how like middle american kind of square jawed he is right he's not like Hippy dippy. You know?
0: Exactly. Yeah, you look that, at him and you're like, oh, he could work on my car.
1: And he did work on cars, and, that, and that's another story. That's how he found out about about the area at first. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he worked. George. Well, since you said that, George worked with his uncle. It was the Depression. They were fixing cars out in Santa Monica, and this uh, German miner comes along, or German uh, German American. Mm-hmm. Again, another Rashomon. There's a whole Rashomon aspect of the film, Rashomon being the Japanese film where there's multiple stories of the same event from different perspectives. So this miner, his car broke down. He needed some bucks to get the car fixed and money to get his mind going out in the desert. And he ran into George and his uncle and they staked him some money. And they fixed his car and they stayed in touch. And then one day, the uh, sheriff uh, of a nearby county, to where he was mining, which was under this giant rock, right? And uh, they came by to see what was going on. After all, this guy was a German with shortwave radios and dynamite and aircraft living in the middle of the desert during World War II. And they came, and uh, there's multiple versions of the story, which you'll have to see the film, I guess, to find out. But um, turns out that um, he dies in, a, in an explosion there at the rock, at George and his family circling back come there uh, a number of years later and scrub the walls of the blood and start their venture, which uh, they did not know was going to turn. They started living under the rock and singing the spirituals, yeah. yeah.
0: And the rest is sort of history. So out of all this, Jonathan, he creates these conventions, which was another big part of your film, this this counterculture that were coming out to the deserts uh, to sort of support the Integratron, which was a really interesting idea. And then the intelligence agencies kind of got involved with this can you kind of maybe briefly run us through this whole string of events
1: well first of all it's easy to forget that he invited the intelligence agencies in. well uh, the fbi is is the one that he contacted but he contacted other people in the uh in the military like at uh what is it called dwight i think it's called dwight patterson it's the one in um Oh uh right right Patterson. Right Patterson, yep. yeah, exactly. And so he invited a lot of people because he got this message. So he was on their radar by almost by like he called them in. Uh however, uh they were very interested in George and again, uh multiple potential reasons why. Uh one, he was gathering after he he got the message what what happened when Soga uh, this is you're getting a little bit of a modern art version of the story, right? But Solganda came down and he said, uh, I would be pleased to show you our craft. And then um, they gifted him or direct downloaded it. I don't uh, know how else to put it. The plans or the basic inspiration for this Integratron, this machine. And that needed funding because if you're going to combine extraterrestrial technology with tesla's negative ionization with george creel's charging of the cells as batteries (laughs) with george lakowski's multiple wave oscillation you better have some bucks so he started doing these conventions and he invited out all the contactees you know the classic uh and george was one of the classic 1950s contactees and he invited them to the desert to speak and barbecue and you know and and all the fans right this was there was no uh, Coast to Coast. There was no Somewhere in the Skies back then. There was just you and your little town, and you may have had an experience, and you felt weird about it. And all of a sudden, you read it in a magazine. And at one point, particularly Life magazine, did a piece where they were kind of mocking it, which happens a lot with the media for various reasons that we can go into. Uh, but that just backfired, and people came out to the desert, and thousands of people came, and it was uh, the first Burning Man, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, very early predecessor for sure.
1: And of concern to the government, one, they could be communists. They're talking about free love, and they're hanging out in the desert, and they're trading ideas that, if you really go to the roots of of, of uh, some of the original settlers of this country, were part of their roots, communitarian, you know, to be communitarian to help people. You right, yeah. but. Uh, They saw it as a potential threat and possibly uh, Soviet-backed of the government on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, he was mucking around with some technology that maybe was secret. Or the other hand, he maybe was just going to blow up the whole grid of the Southern California (laughs) uh, oops electrical system. You know, there's two sides to this whole world, right? There's the excitement and you feel it and you see it with Formica and – and uh, cars and uh, shopping centers, uh, for better or worse, and uh, and all the inventions and television, you know, like things that we just take for granted. Uh, these were new and bright. And then on the other side was the fear of the bomb. And uh, these two um, polarities uh, play into this whole story and um, every beat.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you sort of have like – The foreshadowing of the Cold War creeping in, I guess, is another good way to look at it. Like, what if these contactees, what if, like, the message they were given was a Trojan horse of sorts, you know? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
1: you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Oh,
0: this device that's going to blow up the planet.
1: Who knows? Well. I mean, a lot of this, to me, uh, stems – you look at like Operation Paperclip, the bringing of the Nazi Mm -hmm. um, rocket scientists to the US because it was like, well, are they going to go to the Soviet Empire or are they going to go to the US uh, Empire? (laughs) Um, So they were successful in bringing these folks here. Uh, I think that, to me, is the start of Cold War. But See, 1947, yeah, right after World War II. So this was really smack in the Cold War. Yep, And uh, there are – I don't know if there's there's been a lot of innuendo, including freaky book about uh, what is it Area 51 that um, that there was that the uh, craft that landed at Roswell was some kind of Soviet disinfo program. uh
0: Jacobson? If, yep.
1: Yeah, I think that's a bunch of hooey. But you know, everybody's entitled. I mean, she got that from a tale spun to her by some old, you know, uh, tech a uh, uh, science guy, who you know. I don't know if she has any proof of that, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some support of of UFO stuff from the Soviets.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, like these might just be stories, but you always hope there's even a shred of fact to some of them, uh, for better or worse, I guess. Yeah, but, uh, and, and
1: uh, um, I haven't found any actual proof that there was Soviet backing of that. I think there's a lot more proof of, of Soviet um, interference now and in, in Facebook and all that. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, bring it to present day for it, sure. Yeah, this has proof. that I I haven't found it. There is one um, journalist, Nick uh, – what is his name? Nick, and he – do you know what I'm talking about? He's kind of a punk rocker. He's great. Oh,
0: Nick Redfern, yes.
1: Nick Redfern. Yeah, Nick Redfern wrote – oh, uh, no. Nick Redfern, who I met at Contact in the Desert, where we tested the film, this wonderful kind of uh, relative uh, – Son of, of uh, George's activities. I met Nick, and uh, he did a book where he talks about all the contactees and the FBI and and George Van Tassel. So um, it's been a wild uh, ride in the uh, UFO communities, what is going on. And there's so much disinfo from the very beginning, including yeah. – I do you, have you, do you know about the national uh, National Lampoon <laughs> National <laughs> in- I was just in Joshua uh, National Enquirer and the Weekly World News. Do you know how they were started?
0: No, I mean I remember buying it every you know every week or whatnot when it came out when I was oh, really? a kid. But no, I don't know the uh, how it all sort of started. No.
1: Right, yeah, so these are papers. They were like early. I don't know. Well, one one was really out there, right? With Weekly World News, The Enquirer had some out there stuff too. The original founders of the National Enquirer were a family that was connected to the uh, uh, mafia, you could say, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, were paid by the government as disinformation. Conduits, and actually, <laughs> nothing has changed there. Because didn't we see that recently with Trump and the uh, and his uh, his ladies, his yeah, mistresses?
0: Yeah, yeah, good point. And I mean, we have Operation Mockingbird as well. Where What's the that? CIA they actually bought out journalists back in the fifties through the seventies to uh, to spread propaganda. I mean, so I mean, these things have been going on for a while. But I didn't know that about the Enquirer and and uh weekly world news bat boy bat boy was one of my favorites for sure
1: oh bat boy okay you know uh this stuff was so from so long from so so far into the past that it's you know it was more like the oss the uh the o- original um cia group the uh, what was it office of special services yes. strategic services yeah strategic yeah so you know it's a great way of of controlling information is to make fun of it so a lot of the stuff that came out in the uh weekly world news did damage control that way about ufo stuff now people may have just been seeing top secret stuff you know we have eric Burden, the great rock and roller from the animals in the film he's like look you americans you think you're supposed to know everything right that's somehow part of our It really is a blessing to be born in a place like this when you see what's going on on around the world. Unfortunately, what's going around on around the world has a lot of, uh, culpability from this country. But, um, when, when you see that, um, somehow, uh, we have this freedom that we've been granted and hopefully we will continue to exercise it uh, where we think we should know everything, but I think Eric Burton might be right. Maybe there's some stuff you're not supposed to know. know? Yeah. I mean, there's (laughs)
0: secrets for a reason.
1: So part of me is a very patriotic American. And part of that has to do with uh, also being able to exercise our rights as citizens in free conversation, but also understanding there's some stuff like there's stuff that, uh, that our 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 people in in a secret um, whatever uh, what do you what do you want to call it like uh, protective services whatever they've thwarted plots that we'll never know about you know of course
0: yeah well I mean sort of coming back to uh, to your whole narrative in this one you go into great great detail about Tassel's plans with the Integratron and and then just you know. All systems are ready to go. You know, he got the funding, he got it up and ready to run. And then something happens that sort of brings everything to a screeching halt. So could you maybe give us this this little part of the story as well?
1: George had an untimely death. He, well, it depends how you look at it. You know, I'll I'll go with the print the legends, as they say. He was just about to turn on the dome. It had been a lot of years and he was on his way to an interview and he mysteriously and suddenly died that's one version of the story in other words a lot of people would say and i'm i'm not going to vociferously deny their uh, ass- assertions they would say that george was stopped by uh, elements of the government i'm not sure what it is but this whole populist conspiracy thing has been a big part in the history of this country as well you know like like people getting all crazy about illuminati and stuff It's true that there are, you know, cabals of certain types, but uh, uh, I don't know if they were out to kill George. It's a beautiful legend. It's possible, you know, circling back to our our history of California part, Mm -hmm. Ryan, you know, all these alienated communities and, you know, little towns connected by dusty roads and this hard Scrabble life, you know, it wasn't what people. You know, yeah, there were oranges and olives and stuff, and it had a Mediterranean aspect to it, definitely. But really, a lot of fast food was going on, the right. origins of the great <laughs> and terrible McDonald's and Ray Crock. Um, <laughs> depending on the day, that's how I feel. Great or <laughs> So, some people say George died from eating too much crappy food
0: (laughs) (laughs) a long way from uh yes murder conspiracies for sure
1: yeah i mean i could give you three or four versions for sure of his death but he he did die in uh, 1978 and uh the dome was never completed and uh you know various forces or people rushed in and grabbed up the stuff and the plans you know
0: right yeah and that that sort of brings me to the the three sisters so i mean these are kind of the people who run the integratron now am i correct
1: you are correct and it's so funny because you make these films and you you stitch together audio and you put together video and you hope it makes some kind of sense and uh i was watching it after i cut the whole thing you know many many times and uh and i realized that uh uh, Nancy and Joanne are the Carl, the Carl sisters. The third sister is like, she's like the gummo. She's never around, like from, <laughs> from the Marx Brothers. Uh, and Tron, they're the, the ones that I know. Uh, the stewards are owners of the uh, dome. And uh, uh, Joanne says about Nancy, yeah, she's like, yeah, she's uh, she's brilliant. She used to work at Stanford Research Institute in a uh, Intelligence in you know, a bright software, artificial intelligence. And that recently, I was like, oh my God, she worked at Stanford Research and in Artificial Intelligence. I'm sure your listeners are aware of SRI and its place oh, in, yeah. in both the wonderful scientific history of this country, the invention of the mouse and the computer, I think it was invented there, or that was Xerox as well. Uh, also in the more uh, woo woo uh, parapsychology work that was done there. So that, I was like, Wow. So the, they own the Dome. They bought it from another uh, um, owner. It went through a series of owners. It went fallow for a while. I just love that it's this spot where people project their own stuff onto. And I think that the current stewards of the Dome are really good about that. Like They're able to allow me to engage in my predilection for the counterculture activities of California and make a film about it. And they will enable someone else to do their yoga retreat there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like – it's this – space in this place that we can project our hopes, fears, and desires and uh, and work onto. So it's kind of neat. And just on a pure art level, like uh, installation art, like someone like Robert Smithson and uh, other uh, earth artists and uh, site-specific artists, um, it really uh, has that. If If nothing else, it's a beautiful piece of art, but I do believe it's a lot more than that.
0: I do, too. And I, I think that's a really good point. It's sort of the lens in which you look at the Integratron and, and even the, the counterculture that stemmed around the time. So, I mean... I guess sort of to wrap up this the story of Fantasso and the Integratron, Jonathan, where do you stand in terms of what's going on in, in Joshua Tree now in terms of back then and how it's all sort of changed? The Contactee movement was at its peak and Fantasso was doing his work and you had others around the world trying to give this message of, you know, peace and harmony and all this really good positive stuff.
1: Yeah, that's right. That was the message that they came down with. Really, you know, it's like you look at the channeling stuff. Some of the channelings and it's and all the story around it is cool. And then you get to the actual content, and it's always kind of similar, beneficent stuff. Uh, in this case, uh, peace, love, and harmony, and, and and especially a warning about the hydrogen bomb over the other bo- over the other atomic bombs that that was going to be a real issue uh so listen uh, as the uh preeminent historian of the state of california says in the film the desert has always attracted you know mystic uh visions uh, starting with the uh the bible and before right so this is no exception and uh, uh i guess back then it was pretty empty and uh, there were the uh, original Native uh, um, American people who were there and who had their own very uh, deep spiritual connection, including a connection to the extraterrestrial, which is relayed in the film. By the way, there is a website for the film. It's calling all earthlings movie dot com. And there's a, a, a there is a. 70 page paper that was recently printed. And if people sign up for our mailing list, I'm happy to send them a copy of that paper. It's brilliant. It really gets into every aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, i don't know if he gets into this aspect which is in the film about the native american connection to extraterrestrial origin origin theory um of 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 mankind but uh, everybody who went out there seems to have been on some kind of spiritual trip yeah. or at least or at least uh, don't tread on me trip right like there's a lot of a lot of veterans went out there and we have one in our film and uh, a lot of veterans went out there and were given free land and the jackrabbit chucks and Yeah, it's a wild and crazy history.
0: It is. And I mean, again, like, you know, the areas in Joshua Tree, a lot of them have changed. You got all the Airbnbs and the commercialism.
1: Right. I know. I know.
0: But I mean, your film brings us back to a a better time when this when they could invite veterans to, you know, deal with their PTSD or go somewhere where they're welcomed, you know. So, I mean, I'm hoping that's still the case when it comes to the Integratron and the work with the Three Sisters and in all of this swirling around Van Tassel's original message. And what I find also really interesting is that you recently in your interviews, you talked about you went to Malibu for a screening and someone told you that they they believe there's other Integratrons that have been built throughout the world. Now, I know there's nothing to sort of prove this, but I found that pretty interesting as well.
1: Well, the dome itself is uh, built on the uh, right on the border of uh, one of the largest military installations in the world, uh, 29 Palms uh, facility. Uh, 29 Palms uh, it has a uh, official name, but we, we know what it is. It, it runs from uh, the town of 29 Palms all the way up towards the top. Up the Five, it's a huge area with, you know, uh, faux Iraqi villages, you know, and uh, all kinds of stuff going on up there. And uh, there's always been this connection between the military and the Integratron, one bringing more uh, uh, about uh, aggression and the other um, more about the peace and the people in Joshua Tree, who are the the peaceful heirs, spiritual heirs of Van Tassel, who I just hang out with this weekend. You know, not officially, but, you know they they are carrying on a lot of the same stuff. So yeah, it is a funny thing about uh capitalism. I'm I'm not against capitalism. I think it's a good thing. I think a mixed economy is nice, but I was just out there and somebody was saying, "Oh, uh Clive Wright is one of the musicians in our film and he lives he's lived there forever, brilliant uh, British musician and uh they were like, "Oh, I can get you 200 bucks a night for your uh for your airbnb instead of 75 i'm like hey hold on next time i come out my, my rate to stay at joshua tree is going to double so it's like this weird double-edged sword people need to make a living and i don't want to regulate anything i'm not a regulator uh at the same time uh you know price gouging is hard i guess the market will figure it out uh i expected to see a lot more activity but it seems uh pretty much the same trippy, cool place. It's just like the rents have gone up, you know? Yeah. And the the house values. It might be one of those places too that shakes out the people who can't hack it.
0: Well, I mean, okay, so... You know, aside from this, Jonathan, where do you think we stand today as a society? 2018, we get, like, the biggest bombshell story of UFO disclosure from from the government. You know, the New York Times puts out this article, the Pentagon's been investigating UFOs secretly for, like, 8, 10 years or something like that.
1: Which which article are you referring to? The, um...
0: This was the New York Times article that came out in December,
1: right? Through yeah. and I think that was through Tom Delong. Delong, how do you say it? Correct. Yeah. 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 Organization. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, they're like, "Duh, we knew that." <laughs> yeah. Right. But uh, but for the for that to be in the New York Times is a big step. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where do you stand on, you know, UFO disclosure? You know, this idea that the government is going to tell us what they've known for so long or uh, that. It's an interesting question. I never
1: I haven't really thought that through. Uh, I mean, I would think that people love to gossip and talk so let me see. it brings up a more uh, – not more, but an interesting question of the whole world we're in right now of fake news and real news. Mm-hmm. How the heck do we know what's real? And this is the ultimate subject where, where we don't know. But one thing that leads lends credence to it for me, which is very intriguing, I spoke to this guy, uh, Robert Salas, while, as I was making the film. Do you know him and his work?
0: Uh, yes, the gentleman with the nuclear bases, right?
1: Exactly. That yeah. is – you should get him on your show because that is a really interesting story yeah. that that um, nuclear he, – he has a group of uh, people who were uh, military officials, so many of them high-ranking, and that they experienced odd shutdowns from uh, extraterrestrial forces according to uh, the way Salas describes it. I don't know if he explicitly says – yeah, I think he does. And uh, so there is something – going on i i don't know you know it's like it's like if you asked me about george van tassel on monday i might say oh he's tom sawyer trying to get his fence painted and you know live a life in the desert and on wednesday i could say yeah the guy was had this brilliant idea that's 30 years ahead of his time yeah. so the disclosure issue is interesting we all want to have an interesting life of significance right so if we said no it's all a bunch of hooey that would that would suck <laughs> <laughs> Suck either way. I say that as a film professor (laughs) and uh, a Cal State um, wonderful school, Cal State San Marcos. Um, But um, we all want to live lives of significance. On the one hand, and it's possible, it's all just illusion. And on the other hand, it could be uh, disinformation to keep people busy. And on the third hand, because we're aliens, we have three hands. It's very possible that there is a bunch of stuff that is hidden. I'm sure there are people. Uh, you've had on your show who know a lot more about this than I do. I'm just a film guy. I make films about communes and uh, weird domes. And on to my next uh, thing after this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're happy That's, to have you, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I have really – I think it's fascinating though. And then the thing is like, yeah, of course I fell into a lot of rabbit holes. The Majestic Papers for one. Mm-hmm. It's like, aha! We have definite proof. And then it's like, oh, turns out they were probably faked.
0: <laughs> yep, <laughs> Welcome to my life. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: And, even, and, and maybe they weren't faked, although according to someone who I really love and trust, who's a great filmmaker, uh, Chris Munch, and you should try to get him on your show. He's doing a film about that Eisenhower meeting. Uh, Chris was saying, yeah, that the Majestic Papers are probably a hoax, but he's a believer. Yeah. I, I certainly believe there's intelligence outside our planet that's i don't think anyone would say otherwise i would hope uh, not at this point yeah i think the visit could have been more of a um mushroom you know what are they, like uh, mushroom spores kind of thing like crystallized intelligence that could live for millions of years and that's how uh we we became associated and we're all stardust we're all from multiple planets right so i don't know what the government knows yeah i don't I just feel like on the one hand the government is uh is still working with like old i b m machines with like green type you know like <laughs> these are the people who are keeping all these secrets do you know what I mean that's what I'm saying about gossip and all that absolutely like, yeah but people have stepped forward what's your what's your feeling we'll go into our u f o chat mode what's your feeling on uh Bob Lazar and that that whole thing
0: yeah. So, I mean, I've looked extensively. We did a special episode all about Bob Lazar and in the the community, the quote unquote UFO community is very divided on it. And,
1: okay, Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I personally I, I give him I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't see what this man really had to gain. I mean, he's sort of, you know, been put through the ringer both personally and professionally after coming forward with all this. So I, I don't really see a motivation to lie about it we've recently found people who have worked with him at Los Alamos where he right. said he'd That's worked yeah. so yeah. i mean there've been some developments in that whole Bob Lazar's story, but enough to definitively say yes, he was there. He worked on what he said. No, we'll never know. It's just a story, just like all of these things. I think we deal with within the UFO community and beyond. So, yeah, I, I'm still on the fence about it, but I'm leaning more towards believing a lot of his story than disbelieving for sure.
1: Yeah, there are elements where it seems like he made some stuff up, and then it's always hard. Like my friend, my friend Paul, right, who I did the film about. After robbing all these banks, he eventually went to prison. In prison, he was put in a minimum security facility, and his buddy there was Lyndon LaRouche. And if you're into conspiracy stuff, Lyndon LaRouche was a real interesting, squirrely character, definitely involved with some dark stuff. But the thing is, he knew he was smart. And like for every crazy thing he would say, like 90% crazy, one would be really true and, and, and brilliant. So – People are shapeshifters, you know.
0: Yes, the art of deception.
1: (laughs) Well, don't worry. We're going to be taking the human out of all this, according to Elon Musk. And I, I do believe he's a very smart guy. And apparently we're heading towards a singularity for better or worse, hopefully for better. And hopefully they'll keep us around as pets or something hopefully man I know. oh my god
0: <laughs> <laughs> i can only imagine what van tassel would have thought about all this now going on with musk and everyone
1: <laughs> well that that's the thing Van tassel was a peace of love guy you know and that was a radical message and that's not the way things have transpired unfortunately. unfortunately although some people would say we're in a period now that's more peaceful than ever you know what i mean there's always another side to the to the story yeah, and the thing about good science fiction, I've, I've been starting to uh, reconnect uh, with my professor of, of, at McGill, where I went to college, and he's the uh, world's, one of the leading, he's, I think, the leading critic of, of um, science fiction. And these worlds in science fiction and futurism are often very uh, politically radical, their utopianist their better world I'm not talking about your Star War Star Wars space opera that's just a, a, a western with um, with uh, ray guns I'm talking <laughs> about more your Star Trek you know alternate worlds of uh, of different possibilities often thinly cloaked visions of utopia and often more leading towards the left of the spectrum in the film we really tried to show uh, also the whole economic set of it like that that all these experiences are about humanistic impulses and uh, dignity for people who have money or don't, you know, and that's, that's like the special world of the desert has been able to kind of encapsulate both the rich and the poor in maybe a better life than they would have in the city.
0: Jonathan, this has been so awesome, man. I got to ask, where can we find the film in all of your other work?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for having me today. I hope it, it, it makes some sort of sense. Um, like I said, just back with Joshua Tree, so I'm I'm operating <laughs> on uh, <laughs> on very very uh, altered uh, realities right now. Hey, we uh, got to
0: challenge our minds every now and again, man. Yeah,
1: I mean, <laughs> no drugs or anything just just being there and exactly. the beautiful uh, landscape. I mean, people who live in the country, I'm starting to understand why they're like. Yeah, I never come to the city. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> you really you really see the stars there and you really do connect in a very very deep level. Um so this film is available everywhere on iTunes, on uh Amazon Instant, the one that you, you know, pay a few bucks for, you can download it from iTunes and uh Vudu and uh all those kind of places. Every digital Xbox, you name it. You yep. can get it. Calling all earthlings and then um uh you know, if somebody wants to show it at some kind of uh semi theatrical uh you know theater or group that they have. They should get on they should every, oh, everybody should get on our website and, and sign up for the mailing list. I'm very bad about the mail, but I do send something out every month or so. <laughs> Keeping you up on what we're doing what we're doing. We're having a European premiere and we have a few more screenings, including one at the anthropological uh, meeting in a. Uh, of American Anthropological Association meeting in uh, San Jose, which is exciting.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. 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 It's a totally different context.
0: Yeah. I might have to make a trip out there. Oh, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. And well, I mean, I personally hope there's more Integratrons out there and more films like yours, Uh, you know, in a time where I think we need them now more than ever, let's be honest. So
1: It's a hard road to hope because the films that have been done beforehand seem to be either like sloppy, you know, rabidly pro, you know, just cheesy UFO 1980s video shelf stuff or quick TV films. And I tried to take my time that I am blessed with as a professor to really think some of it through and and uh, tell these people's stories with dignity and, uh, and show multiple worlds, multiple possibilities.
0: Well, I really think you hit the mark, man. Again, the film is calling all Earthlings. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you. This was a blast. I feel transported.
0: That's it for this week's episode. Again, Calling All Earthlings is available on most streaming services. Or you can purchase it right through the website, callingallearthlingsmovie.com. Somewhere in the Skies recently hit number one in its category on Apple Podcasts and iTunes Canada. Thank you so much to all my Canadian listeners for making this happen. For my listeners in the United States and abroad... I hope you'll take a few moments to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your country or region's Apple Podcasts. It helps the show gain new listeners. Thank you for your support. If you'd like to receive bonus episodes, content, and rewards at many different levels, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber today. To learn more and to contribute, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. We're on Twitter, at Somewhere Skies, and Instagram, at Somewhere Skies Pod. You can also join our very active Facebook page to discuss past, present, and future episodes. And also, join in on our daily conversations. Just search for Somewhere in the Skies Podcast on Facebook. Thank you to the E1 Podcast Network and KGRA Radio. And thank you to all of you for listening. I'll see you here next week, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit EntertainmentOnePodcast.com. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber A. And I'm Andrew McKay, and we are the hosts of Into the Portal. If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore the lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. Like the Braxton County monster that once lurked in the forest of Flatwoods, West Virginia, or the mythical Thunderbirds, giant terrors of the skies. Or even the mysterious underworld of Giza holding secrets of an ancient past. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms. And of course, at intotheportal.com, your gateway to the bazaar. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal?
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods